Write that down for me, Satan. Justin Nipper, I edit for FightGameMedia.com, I'm a staff writer at WrestlingObserver.com, F4WOnline.com, and shortly I'll be joined by author and historian and broadcast journalist, uh, the boss, the oracle of Japanese professional wrestling himself, Mr. Fumi Saito. Um, but, okay, so, we did it. Everyone, we made it to part five of our Antonio Inoki Legacy series. The final chapters today... It's a bit longer than usual. Uh, altogether, you should have between something like six or seven hours of podcast, all things devoted to Inoki, Antonio Inoki, by the time you're done listening to all these, if you have. And again, thank you, everyone, for listening. We've gotten probably the most feedback ever on these Antonio Inoki shows that we've done over the past month or so, a little over a month, actually. Uh, so thank you again for the kind words, and please keep listening. Thank you. Um, oh, and by the way, also, if you haven't already subscribed to the Fight Game Media Network's free podcast feed, please do us a favor and help us out. Subscribe to the feed wherever you usually download your podcasts. It's, if it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Downcast, Stitcher, wherever. If you subscribe, it really helps us out. It really does help us out at Write That Down. It helps us out at Fight Game Media. It's very much appreciated. Spotify, Apple, Downcast, platform the Fighting Media Network or Goto Uruku Itadakeru Totatsukarimas Arigatozaimas. Alright, so back to Antonio Inoki. We went over so much last time about Antonio Inoki's career from the nineteen eighties onward to his retirement and his life in business, in Japanese national politics. Uh, this week we hit on a lot of both inside the ring and outside the ring topics like uh, Inoki and uh, again the rise of this MMA culture that would blossom in the 90s. We talked about his fights with Ruska, Willie Williams, uh, Chuck Wepner. Uh, we talked about later on his very important, pretty famous feud with his disciple Tatsumi Fujinami, the dragon. Uh, we talked about the debut of Big Van Vader. And the debacle of debut that was at uh, Yogoku uh, Sumo Hall in 1987 with Beat Takeshi and flying pillows and fire. Uh, that's towards the end of the show. Um, we talk about Inoki and Vader. Um, we talked about how important the launch of the second UWF was and that's massive impact on pro wrestling. The way we still feel today. Um, we touched on Naoya Ogawa and late into uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the riot, the real rise of MMA, Inoki kind of turning his back on professional wrestling, becoming the quote-unquote enemy. Um, I'm not even scratching this. There's a lot more 
than just what I listed. But listen today. This is their last final chapter on uh, Inoki. Questions, comments, anything you got, send them to us. I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Um, so then sit back, enjoy the ride. And next week we're going to start one more time on the other side of the story from Inoki. We're going to start with Shohei Baba, Giant Baba, part one of his legacy series, a very different but also very important figure in Inoki's career in the history of Japanese pro wrestling. And if you are interested at all in All Japan Pro Wrestling, hop on board next week because this will be the series for you. Absolutely everything that you probably need to know or want to know, we're going to try to hit it in the Baba series next week. Okay? So let's get right into it. Yeah, uh, the Bob Backlund thing you know, we covered in details in the last Hogan. time. Hulk Hogan and IWGP concept. Mm-hmm. And the controversy yeah. uh, when he when he lost the match right, with, right. Uh, with Hogan and the newspaper reaction to it. And also 1980. Okay, are we recording? Yeah. Yes, we are on. Yeah. We're live, pal. Okay, okay. So you have to edit some of that, you know, some of the content first. But the, in, no, okay. in okay, in 1983, the, the first inaugural IWGP tournament, Hulk Hogan beat Anthony Inoki to be the first winner of the tournament, and actually wore that physical, you know, first original IWGP belt around his waist. Yeah, and but wasn't the championship to defend, you know, like a, to defend the title. The championship won't be held until next spring again. And the second annual 1984, second annual IWGP tournament, the final was again Inoki against Hogan. Yeah, we covered that last time. And uh, But the, we, we kind of skipped the fact that the 1983 New Japan Company as a whole almost went down. There was like almost like a coup, you know, coup d'etat within the company that around that time period, uh, Inoki had a big, huge outside wrestling project in Brazil. It's called Anton Heisel. Uh, it's a basically an energy save the world project that uh, cow poof. Okay, you, you feed, in Brazil, you feed the, the whole farm cows and the livestock with your sugar cane, the special sugar cane, and you use the cow poops and make it into energy and recycle it. And that was going to change either oil or nat that the natural gas, something, and uh, that the, the whole energy cycle would be changed in this world. It was a big, huge project. You know, you put so many millions and millions, billions of dollars into into the project. Uh, while high sell? High sell, yeah. High sell. Yeah, in, in Katakana, it's Anton Haiseru. I see. Okay. And Antonio's high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was his project that, that to pitch, you know, so much money into Brazil and Brazilian government. So Inoki felt that Brazil was his second home. Naturally. Yes. He moved to Brazil when he was young, like age of 13, 14 and spent his three or four years there until he was discovered by Ricky Dozen and brought back to Japan. So his life's been very dramatic since that point. But uh, yes, he wanted to do something about it uh, in you know Brazilian energy problems. And uh, he wanted to save the world with that project. 
and the one scientist he met in Japan was able to do, you know, do this recycling thing with cow to sugar cane to make it into a recycled energy. And you cycle, you know, you have the, the, the certain cycle permanently. Therefore, that the energy, the new energy will replace oil or natural gas. And also, you can drive a car with it or something. Pretty. I mean, like a dream project, huh? Yeah, lofty ideas from Antonio Noki wanting to uh, invest a lot of money into renewable energy and new power sources. But where the hell is he getting the money? It was a New Japan company, <laughs> and the business at the time was booming with, you know, Inoki, IWGP, you know, itself, and Ricky Choshu against Fujinami initial, initial program, and Tiger Mask booming. And they were running, what, the 250 to 300 shows a year, every single show being sold. So they must have been making, what, over 100 grand a night times 250 nights a year, right? There's a lot of money coming in. Yeah, and and also TV Asahi writes mm -hmm. money, you know, that every year, and uh, when, but the wrestlers felt that the business booming and every night, you know, being sold out, and uh, they never got raised in that, you know, the the contract guarantee and. Uh, uh, what's happening with this company? And when somebody went into account that there's no money in the bank and uh, and somebody confronted Inoki and his manager, you know, Hisashi Shima, and then uh, there was a, like a small coup d'etat in summer of 1983 that the wrestler won't be appearing if you don't resign. And, and Inoki and Vice President Seiji Sakaguchi and Hisashi Shima all resigned at the moment and he replaced uh, the, the president and the vice president and the executive officer's position with somebody else for like a six months period to rebuild the company. And uh, well, Inoki won't be leaving, so he just became wrestler for a while, but uh, his, he went back to president uh, uh, shortly after. And, uh, and that led to the formation of that the very first UWF. We skipped a lot of details there, though. But uh, in, you know, make New Japan into two different bus, and two two buses are running simultaneously. New Japan bus and UWF bus and split the company into two groups, kind of thing. Well, we we covered a lot of that in our UWF series mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. So for mm -hmm. details on that, you can. Look in the archives for us talking about that but for yeah we, we there are a and lot also more in japan too. the books books and books being written about this subject pretty popular books the the what's the 1984 uwf book with tiger yeah, mask dude, and after that yeah tiger, that book was popular but the detail was so sketchy and that information was not accurate so other writers and even wrestlers like you know akira maeda they all start writing books on the same subject and then a dozen book came off to answer that. After that, because so UWF UWF has always been a very interesting subject because much like IWGP, that 1980s wrestling fan into early 90s, they all believed that the UWF was going to change wrestling and make wrestling into a legitimate contest. It's always been a dream of wrestling fan kid, right? Wish this was all real. 
because I you believe that as, as a kid it's all real, and you find out that there is no Santa Claus. But some wrestling fans choose to follow wrestling as it is, and you love the wrestling like you and I do. And at the same time, you kind of you know kind of always wonder that the, what if wrestling was a legitimate contest? Who'd be the champion? Mm-hmm. I mean, like a kid's dream, you know. Mm. And UWF really tried to change wrestling into a contest, a legitimate form, and started by changing the format and changing the style of wrestling in that in that ring. You stop bouncing off the rope. You you know stop fighting outside the ring. You cut cut off all the silly moves that the, that the two wrestlers are obviously you know that helping each other to make the wrestling move happen. So. Uh, it's like if wrestling was real, wouldn't you kick first instead mm-hmm. of lock up? Or is head you know does does headlock really work like you know it was believed it would? Or you introduce all the Carl Gotch dojo moves into actual matches that the those mat you know the Achilles tendons hold, that the knee locks, that the waki gatame, that the, or your old-fashioned double you know double wrist lock thing that can break your shoulder, you know, dislocate your shoulder. Uh, why wouldn't this dislocating shoulder thing happen in in professional wrestling thing? Or oh, they must not put a pressure on it or something. And just a lot of study have done on, on because UWF started using those dojo hidden moves and make made it public. And uh, that really, you know, it didn't, it changed a lot about wrestling. And Ultimately, that led to the formation of more MMA-ish company like Pancras. And Pancras, you know, and UFC in America pretty much started around the same time in 1994. So that the MMA and uh, before there was a term MMA, they used to call it what? Uh, no holes barred. That mm-hmm. sounds barbaric. NHB. But, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if the fight was such that that's what's going to look like. And uh, uh, the MMA thing really, you know, took off. And it's already been, what, 25 years. And UFC now looks like a different kind of kickboxing. You know, they don't even put a – you don't even have much of a grappling in UFC anymore, right? A it's, lot it's of punching. It's evolved. It's, it's different. There's, evolved. It's, it, it, that and pro wrestling went different ways. But around 20 years ago, they were – still live oh because the a link world. they got because there was a people like uh, like like you know ken shamrock and dan severn that the other guys that uh, were used to be pro wrestler went into ufc and fought all mm-hmm. uh, the different era that the people like don fry who was ufc champion who became pro wrestler after sure and uh, yeah so uh, there was like a uh, people do you know come and go back and forth and there was a link but there's no link after uh, i mean link i'm talking about is a professional wrestling and the mma but last person probably was brock lesnar yeah i mean there's always crossover today but it's it's not as um cut and dried like it used yeah to and be. Then it also have to be a you know like a major player right yeah because Brock Lesnar is still very, very believable today because of UFC, huh? It's a big part. It's a big, big part of of uh, who he yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, Brock Lesnar's you know image to it. 
And also people even today wonder, what if Goldberg ever you know, went into UFC and MMA? Mm -hmm. Which never happened, but uh, Goldberg is like a candidate. If he goes in there, he's he's gonna he would beat everybody, you know, something like that. And uh, well, all of a sudden he's fifty something, and probably not gonna happen now. But anyhow, that the, so th those are the things that that uh, Inoki wasn't um, that directly involved, but the Inoki's legacy has influenced on the whole MMA evolution thing too. Agree? Sure. I mean, he, I, I, it's hard not to say that his fight with Muhammad Ali was one of the first MMA fights, MMA matches that we saw. Yeah, and I mean, that became, yeah, in Japan, that became a series of mixed fights, like, you know, your Inoki against Chuck Webner, that uh, another boxer, or the Monster Man uh, kickboxing champion from America, the judoka, the, the karate fighters, that the, Inoki had a series of, a uh, total of 15 MMA fight uh, like in professional wrestling ring. I shouldn't probably say MMA because it was more of a professional wrestling uh, boundary, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was like not all Japan and Baba would do, you know, right. professional wrestler against, you know, a fighter from another sport. I mean, uh, in the end, it was pro wrestling, but they, he was bringing in legitimate, successful uh, martial artists from around the world. Ruska, the judoka, Willie Williams, sure. uh, karate, right. karate master. Karate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the, there were Chuck a number. Webner, like Chuck I Webner, said. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and a, another German rest, uh, boxer, Paul Berger, somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. regardless of... Um, what happened in the ring there was always that atmosphere or feeling of uh it's 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 got to be real it's got to because they're real and inoki <laughs> and, proves and that he's point, real point, yeah point is inoki beat them all you know right and also when inoki had this you know like all through 70s into like a 80 that when inoki had this in uh, that uh, pro, pro wrestler against karate fighter or the kickboxer or such that that was on primetime special, separate from your weekly pro wrestling program. See, that uh, they did that for 90 minute or two hour uh, primetime special on, on TV Asahi on different night, like your boxing fight. Then you still had the every Friday night, eight o'clock wrestling show at the same time. So they treat the MMA or the mixed fight you know, matches separately. Therefore, people feel felt a different aura to it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen video where they even <gasps> have the the fans stand on their feet, and each um, fighter gets their national anthem played before the fight. A title, yeah, right, right. There's a there's usually you bring in your second with your white towel around your neck and. Uh, they don't just come in, but the whole entourage came in, right? Mm -hmm. Much like boxing fight. Somebody yeah. official read the, the rules or the stipulations. It was all uh, ceremony and tradition, just like you would see in any other sport. Down from the beginning, not just of the of the matches, but to the beginning of the television program. Yeah, and they used the different ring and different color mat. Yeah. It was very uh, ceremonial. Ceremonious. And, and made sure that they didn't, you know, 
they didn't want that to look like another wrestling night. It was special. It was a big time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also that uh, New Japan and Inoki got the network special that uh, you write money, right? Uh, from each one, you know, one of those MMA fight for five year period. That's how Inoki and New Japan paid back that uh, the money he owed, you know, from Muhammad Ali fight. They basically TV Asahi loaned New Japan and Inoki that six million dollar, you know, to make Muhammad Ali fight, you know, happen. And uh, New Japan, you know, and Inoki owed TV Asahi a good chunk of money, you know, because of it. And then he paid back by having those 10, 15, another one of those special fights. And rating was high and got a big advertising money. And TV Asahi, New Japan, Inoki, win, win, win situation. It was solved in over three year period or so. So, so all the money that the TV Asahi had to you know spend on Muhammad Ali fight was paid back eventually. That's, yeah. uh, not many people could do that uh, as on their own or as a draw like Antonio Inoki, I don't think. There's a lot of money, a lot of his, um, popularity. Yeah. And six million dollar in 1970s. Oh my gosh! Right? What would, <laughs> Unreal. What would that be in today's money? Hundred million? Yeah, let me. I'm gonna check. Yeah. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at least ten times. At least it's it's a Infl- big difference. Inflated. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> last time we, you know, we were here that we talked about Bob Backlund and the WWE uh, title change controversy and how they handled it. Uh, in real or and also a storyline thing that the Inoki didn't lose the title but the, relinquished the title therefore he's not no, no longer WWE champion but uh, he never lost it uh, but in in WWE record Inoki's name doesn't appear you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. it was uh wiped but, from the record kind of kind of thing and uh, never happened it's usually that at the end of the tour you know, just just like John Baba winning a title from Hardy Race, NW become NWA champion for a week. At the end of the tour, uh, with no television, but at some house shows, that John Baba drops the title back to Hardy Race. And Inoki probably was going to lose the title back to Bob Backlund, but he didn't do it. Instead, he did the very controversial ending to the match and DQ finish. And Inoki not being happy, storyline goes that he's going to return the title. And, uh, oh, wow, what a man, right? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, $6 million in 1976 was around $29 million in today's money. Okay, okay. It's quite a but lot. But those still. money had to be paid back. Yeah, right. Yeah, $29 right. Million. It's uh, It's not chump change. Right, right. But still, a lot of money. To a be, lot of and, money. And then the wrestling company can go down, you know? For sure. Yeah. But the, the IWGP thing, you know, that after WWE you know, title switch thing, but the part, business partnership between New Japan and WWE, it remained another five years from that point. And 1979, 1980, there was a Madison Square Garden tag team tournaments every December. And first year, uh, it, it had to be 1980 then. Inoki and Bob Backlund became tag team and won won the first you know first annual M- Madison Square 
Garden Tag Team Tournament. And second year on, that 82 and 83 then probably that. Uh, okay, second year, under the Giant and Rene Goulet won. And 82 and 83, then Babyface in Japan, Hulk Hogan and Inoki made a tag team in 82 and 83. They won the championship. I mean, the tag team tournament. So Hulk Hogan, uh, we, we talked about it last week that uh, Hulk Hogan was huge superstar in Japan before he was big, huge phenomenon in America. And he was big, But he big, was a big, big star in AWA, AWA too at the time. But uh, if we can see footage of, of Hogan in Japan, some of those uh, uh, crowds, they're really, really crazy for Hogan. He was, he was loved at one point. Yeah, oh, of course, of course. And also, really strong. He, he, he turned babyface real, I mean, like a perfect timing. I mean, right after Stan Hansen jumped from New Japan to Old Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, up until 1981, when Stan Hansen and Hulk Hogan made a tag team, occasional tag team partner in Japan, that clearly Stan Hansen was above Hulk Hogan at the time. But just as soon as Hulk Hogan left New Japan, he signed new contract with, you know, Hulk Hogan signed new contract with New Japan and turned himself babyface and made tag team with Inoki and Fujinami and therefore in wearing kimono and the Ichiban trunks and all that. Uh, therefore, Ultimate Babyface was born. Now, if we fast forward a little bit, because because there was a sure. point where Hogan, his his time came to an end in Japan because he signed a contract exclusively with WWF, and, and we know what the happened yellow from trunks there. and yellow boots. Yeah, Hulkamania was born in 1984, and and the rest in that case was history. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, but, it was away from Japan. until like '84 in in June of '85, to be exact. That Hogan was still making uh, trips to Japan to make New Japan dates while mm-hmm. he was Hulkamaniac in, in America. That was mm-hmm. amazing. While he was champion. While he was champion, first year and uh, year and a half, right? That he was defending title all over America with yellow trunks, one, two, three, three punches, big boot, and a leg drop finish, right? But when he comes to Japan, he still works like Japanese wrestler. Lock mm-hmm. up to your head, headlock, headlock into your hammerlock, hammerlock to your you know, takedown onto the mat, and doing a face lock, the chin lock, the chance lead. You know, like, you, you wrestle like a Japanese wrestler. And that's the element that, that that's, those are the parts that American fans don't really know about. He had a different finish, too. Yeah, leg drop wasn't. He was an axe bomber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also was, uh... he inherited from Hulk Hogan, I mean, uh, Stan Hansen's lariat that nobody kicks out of, right? Mm. That uh, he had the axe bomber very similar to your, you know, Stan Hansen clothesline, lariat. And uh, he, yeah, he beat everybody with that. And recently, uh, TV Asahi channel on Sky Perfect TV, they t- you know they aired uh, Young Akira Maeda against Hulk Hogan single match. You know, it was interesting. Hulk Hogan against Akira Maeda of rings. That's really they- um, dichotomy. <clears throat> That's you know A versus B. It's a you know Yin versus Yang of, of pro wrestling styles. Complete uh, both representatives of. Uh, traditional North American pro wrestling versus uh, quote-unquote realistic uh, Carl Gotch-inspired pro wrestling from Japan. 
and evolved into MMA later on. Yeah, yeah ring, rings and but, later uh, became when, yeah. What, and, but when this in Hulk Hogan, Akira Maeda single match happened, it was back in 1983. And what, uh, Hulk Hogan was still, what, the 29? <laughs> and Akira Maeda being 25 or something. And yeah. Yeah, so it was it was young, and the finish was sure enough, Ox Bomber. Hmm. And how 1983, Hulk Hogan pinned 1983 Akira Maeda in professional wrestling manner. But the match, you know, in hindsight, when you watch it, that uh, uh, Maeda was becoming Akira Maeda, and Hulk Hogan had this yeah thing that the uh, like there's a clear difference and. A little bit of hesitation in the ring and a little bit of miscommunication in the ring but yeah but at the end of the day it was a new japan pro wrestling it was still interesting to watch though yeah and that was the night fujinami pinned Anthony Noki with his four Nelson Dragon Suplex one two three to win the tag team tournament, and at the end of the night he was so happy that they, they didn't really talk about Brody anymore. Brilliant finish, huh? Really, um, geez, this is a big moment, a time for Tatsumi Fujinami too, who was sort of becoming a. He, he was a junior heavyweight before, yeah. yeah, and he was becoming more yeah, like a heavyweight and star. All, yeah, and also he just turned turned heavyweight uh, just a couple of years back and have a, having a ten sing, an important single match against people like Dick Murdoch, the mass superstar, the Under the Giant, the Hulk Hogan, the, in the single match program as a heavyweight, you know. But uh, uh, it's a trivia, uh, it's kind of trivia question, but the, that was the night, the only match ever. The Fujinami pinned Inoki one two three. Uh, for the record, Inoki Fujinami single match happened what the 15, 20 times. Not once Fujinami beat Inoki. There were draws. This, that, that was the closest. Yeah, he came. yeah, yeah. Close, right. Whereas Riki Choshu pinned uh, pinned Inoki one two three in the middle of the ring with no excuse in three different occasions. Mm. Ricky Choshu, yeah. And we, when Inoki left wrestling, the booking job that the produ- ex, you know, executive producer position was given to Choshu instead of Fujinami. That was a record, yes. But uh, I guess Ricky Choshu was more of a locker room leader than, uh, than uh, uh, that, uh, his own person, Fujinami type. You know, Fujinami is friendly. But uh, he was never that, that much of a boss type in a, in, in a dressing room. Whereas Ricky Choshu can put together a pretty good team because he can come from college sport background that the dressing rooms are all in the fraternity friends. And Ricky Choshu was a boss type. And uh, I guess Inoki saw through that and uh, made Ricky Choshu Booker. Yeah. Mm. Anyhow, Inami was more of like a that, uh, soldier for on his company. own, and uh, and uh, individual star, yeah, but never had his his entourage or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his he, career he, as a junior was—it's very—it's very different. You have to look at it a little differently because his—he was just a different type of wrestler. He was a different kind of wrestler as a junior. Mm-hmm. 
especially mm-hmm. early on. Uh, he became more of a Antonio Inoki style uh, heavyweight pro wrestler in his later. Yeah, I did. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. I'll get to that in about ten minutes. <laughs> but the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Fujinami pinning Antonio Inoki with you know with Dragon Suplex hold. Big the, deal. Not not yeah not German Suplex but the Four Nelson Dragon Suplex and pinned Inoki with no excuse one two three to win the tournament such a happy you know finale for I first annual IWGP tag team tournament and and uh, the magazine covered it Tokyo sports covered it Nikan sports all you know had the big big photo spread that uh, that made Brody leaving the company news a little bit smaller portion yeah yeah but for on Brody Brody came back to Japan one more time in the following summer summer of 86 uh when you ask him but the Bruiser Brody came back to Japan to collect money he didn't get busy when he left the comp you know that the bullet train and then and they took his own you know flight back home he did not get paid on that tour you know so Brody came back to New Japan, some of 1986 to collect all the money he, you know, he he felt he owed. You know he was owed. That was a the time they had single match. He came back with two you know two matches only, Fujinami against Brody, and Inoki against Brody. That Inoki against Brody was a six minute time in Broadway, and probably New Japan felt that it was the beginning of second, you know, se- you know, like a second state, you know, second chapter of Inoki Brody. But in Brody's mind, he came back to finish business with New Japan. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Was he paid in full in the end? I guess, yeah. He came back and, and collected his, uh, uh, was called, uh, was said around 100,000. Wow. One Which tour. Back then is a lot of money still. Yeah, one week, you know, stay and he made like a hundred grand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know anybody who currently would make something like that. Maybe Brock Lesnar, but I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Different. How different that business. was the Hulk Hogan money for the Tokyo Dome show, you know, like a few, you know, like several years later, uh, right between WWE and WCW Jump. How Kogan you know, worked for New Japan for one about a one year, remember, like in '92, mm-hmm. '91, he his his guarantee was a hundred thousand, you know, a dome match, mm-hmm. one match though. <laughs> That's Pretty a lot amazing. of money for right? Yeah. Amazing. Anyhow, well, we're talking about Inoki now. That '86, uh, yeah, was such that the Inoki was still active. That the first version of UWF Maeda, the Takada, the uh, Fujiwara, the Yamazaki, Kido, that they, after the first version of uh, UWF you know, went down, that the the group, the team UWF came back to New Japan and worked two years, 86 and 87. That was the time that the very anticipated single match was Inoki against Akira Maeda, mm. right? That never took place. Right. They did have Fujinami against Maeda, Inoki against Fujiwara, clean finish, but they never that did the Inoki against Maeda match. Any and particular reason? Was uh, you they couldn't come up with finish, right? Oh. Probably. Huh. 
Maeda wouldn't do it anymore. And the Inoki said uh, he can cannot do it. So that match never took place. But recently, as recent as last year, Inoki, 40, almost 40 years later, the Inoki and Maeda had the magazine interview together. Mm -hmm. I mean, like as recent as last year. So mm -hmm. like 35 years later, right? Uh, Inoki admitted, I was scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is Inoki, it true or is it just for the magazine? <clears throat> Inoki gotten old enough to admit that, you know, because back in 86, you have no idea Maida would do you in, in the ring. Once you get in the ring, yeah, once you got in the ring, you can't really, you know, protect yourself anymore, right? I mean, yeah, it was a different time too. It wasn't uh, an MMA time where people had uh, you know, general training uh, outside of pro wrestling. It was, there was that, uh, because we well, didn't the, know there was a, 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 a danger. Yeah, but the that, 86, 86, 87 version of Akira Maeda uh, quit all the pro wrestling moves. In pro wrestling ring, he was doing the kicks to submission and kick and submission, suplex, that's it. Kick, suplex, submission. Kick, suplex, submission. That's Slap, it. Slap. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe elbow. Little bit, but the more of a thrust to the face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And kick to the leg and take mm -hmm. you down the, on the mat. And we'll give you a couple suplexes to give you damage. Mm -hmm. And on the mat, they're going to, you know, go into your joint. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, either arm or this elbow or shoulder joint or Achilles tendon or the knee. I mean, you got to submit kind of thing, but it's a pro wrestling uh, boundary. So at the end of the night, it was all pro wrestling, but the Maeda and his people stopped doing all the traditional wrestling moves. Like they never bounced off the ropes after that. See, bouncing off the rope is always a big issue in wrestling discussion, right? In, in your country, my country, in school, you know, why would wrestler come right back at you, right? The, <laughs> was there the, discussion when you were a kid too? I mean, a little bit, but I don't think as much as it, it, it is or was in Japan. I think there was so much, <clears throat> there was so much more outrageous uh, uh, pro wrestling content going on. But when I was a kid that running off oh, the okay, ropes right. wasn't the problem. It was more like, uh, you know, who is this repo man guy and why does he have <laughs> higher prints on his tights right no, right it, oh, it, so, they, they pushed character. they pushed the reality aspect far 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 aside long ago i mean long ago yeah, yeah. maybe after mr t too I, that I, was always one thing that was so appealing as a a fan from here in the states is that japanese style kept the the air realism the sense of realism uh or yeah and believability believability right. exactly um yeah th there's aspects uh, all throughout history over here but um yeah there's an obvious difference and yeah hmm. and rest, japanese wrestling always kept it and made it like a competition right mm-hmm yeah, and, oh, yeah, and like too. we were talking about earlier about the, the, the Inoki specials where he would face off against martial artists and they would present it from the beginning of the program to the end uh, as, a, you know, as a 
Yeah, as late as late as 1986. Yeah, we forgot to mention Inoki against Leon Spinks. Oh, that was yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. people with big names. Yeah, Boxers. and Leon Spinks by, by 1986. You know, the Leon Spinks was not really famous boxer, but still former heavyweight champion, right? In Inoki's case, it looked good. Yeah, and then also that wasn't that the match wasn't well received. And the night that that saved the show was Akira Maeda against Dan Nakaya Nielsen. Oh, that was a famous uh, match. Oh, uh, serious one. kickboxer. Yeah, that was the same night. Double main event, double feature. Inoki against Leon Spinks won. And uh, another main event was Akira Maeda against Dan Nakaya Nielsen. That unknown, what relatively unknown, unknown kickboxer. <laughs> Great fight, huh? Still, I mean, uh, people should go out of their too. way to watch this one, yeah, because that made uh, Akira Maeda even more, you know, believable fighter. And he had Korogach at uh, his corner, and that was, you know, real good too. Yeah, yeah. if you've never seen a, a match with uh, Mr. Maeda, I Ak think Ak Akira Maeda against Don Nakaya Nielsen, 1986. Fight. Yeah, if you're gonna it watch one. was like it's still pro wrestling, mm -hmm. still pro wrestling, but uh, there's no no hole in it. That it looked like a martial arts fight. Yeah, and like, during the match, Akira Maeda had a real concussion too, but he kept on and he went to right to hospital after that. Yeah, there was a you can watch it now with 2022 eyes, and it doesn't look that outdated. I mean, uh uh uh. -uh. It, there's and a, also, a, yeah, Don Nakayanis and nothing pro wrestling about him. That the, he nope. he fought like kickboxer, and yeah. Maeda stood there and took the, all the kicks. Yeah. So um, and put put him in 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 a very believable fashion, Boston Crab to finish the match. So that was the only way, or something. It was a great match, though. I mean, people should go out of their way to yeah watch this Maeda Don Nakayanis fight yeah he made yeah and then also nielsen became pretty famous and he had you know quite a few other uh mma fight in pro wrestling ring you know against against fujiwara uh against quite a few guys yes i think he passed away Not a few just, years ago right and he became a chiropractor doctor and he was living in thailand yeah right he's no longer with us he, he kind of died young yeah, yeah. relatively young uh, it was a special night for Maeda, but it was also a pretty interesting night for Inoki, who had the fight with Spinks, Leon Spinks. Leon Spinks, right. Not as, right, um, right. I, I can't go out of my way to say, hey, I recommend this, but... Uh, not this one, yeah, but there are better ones because, yeah. But the, the idea of realism and, and UWF and Maeda, this aspect of pro wrestling was becoming so much more uh, of the style of, of that time, later 80s, uh, into the early 90s, especially when the second UWF boom happened in uh, right, right. 89. Um, mm -hmm. there also around this time, there was a huge, huge match that Inoki had with Big Van Vader. It was 87, December 87. of 87. Yeah. So right around this time, December, yeah, Sumo yeah, Hall. 80, yeah, 87 was the year that uh, Maeda and his UWF guys worked with New Japan uh, for the final time. And that uh, famous kick to the face thing happened in November of 1987. 
between that, that was a six-man tag team, Maeda, Takada, Kid, Osamu Kido against Riki Choshu, Masa Saito, and Hiro Saito. When when Riki Choshu put a famous Scorpion Deathlock on Kido, uh, Maeda walked in the ring and, and just simply kicked Maeda's face. I mean, Riki Choshu's face with no reasoning. Face got swung up and uh, that that. Uh, Something really happened that night, and that was the last time Maeda ever worked in New Japan. And sh shortly after that, in Sakaguchi fired Maeda. That led to the formation of second UWF the following spring. Uh, spring of 88, second version of w uh, UWF started. But New Japan remained with, you know, everybody in it, you know, you know, you know Inoki, Fujinami, Sakaguchi in it, Riki Choshu, Masa Saito, the... Kobayashi, the all the you know Ricky Choshu's guys in it, and American crew in it, and <clears throat> no more business partnership with with WWE. So the, 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 the you know, Inoki and New Japan signed a partnership deal with Von Erich's World Class, right? And Bill Watts, uh, that the MSWA Mid South Wrestling Association, and a little bit later on, that the, ironically they changed the name to UWF, <laughs> American UWF, right? Mm -hmm. Bill Watts, <clears throat> and also the wrestlers are brought in from all kinds of different places. <clears throat> no more WWE wrestler, but they created uh, new stars, and you know they they brought in people like King. Bundy, but he was you know, he was taken by WWE right away, and Konga the Barbarian, Hacksaw Higgins, and Kerry Von Erich and Kevin Von Erich made frequent tours. Uh, Jim Duggan came over a few times, um, but they had to create new monster American star, and Master Saito had Brad Reagan's train Leon White to make it into Japanese style wrestler. Therefore, Big Van Vader was born. Mm -hmm. To worked... make long story short, mm. yeah, and, but he didn't go immediately to New Japan, did he? He he went with uh, AWA and he went uh, with what was it? In, he in was already with the AWA too. at the yeah. He was at at the time he was already working in, in during the '87 tour. Uh, Leon White was already working for Otto Vance as a bow power, bow power, bow power. Yeah, yeah, and Otto Vance loved him and, and gave him championship and everything. But uh, uh, Leon White pretty much gave up all these European dates and signed exclusive contracts with New Japan and became Big Van Vader. And thereafter, he became huge superstar in Japan. And the debut night, debut night of uh, Big Van Vader was Takeshi Pro Wrestling Gundan. You know, the beat Takeshi, you know, the, uh, Take, uh, Takeshi Kitano, one of the biggest comedians in Japan, that uh, there was a storyline that the, he, for, Takeshi formed a wrestling group called TPG, the Takeshi Pro Rest Gundan, that uh, they found a big, uh, that a lethal weapon called Big Van Vader, and Masa Saito brought him in from Europe. And the storyline was such, and uh, <clears throat> December 27th uh, of 1987, the, his debut night, the single match against Inoki, Big Van Vader beat Anthony Inoki one, two, three, clean in the middle of the ring in two minutes. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> that was one of the last riot the New Japan fan uh, made because that the main event you know, initially announced that night was Rick, Inoki against Riki Choshu. 
and people believed that was the night finally Riki Choshi was going to beat Inoki one to three in the middle of the ring with a clothesline. And uh, people made scene and then they, they started rioting in the middle of the night, you know, that the, during the show, uh, New Japan switched card a couple times. So they ended up doing Inoki against Choshu, then Inoki against Vader the same night. I mean, chaotic, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the Vader match was pretty short too, right? Yeah, because people didn't want to see it, you know, that uh, that the people rioted. So New Japan switched the card even in the middle of the night. The, right, 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 we're doing Inoki against Choshu, right? So Inoki-Choshu single match happened, but they went right into DQ finish in about 10 minutes. Oh, people weren't happy, right? Then they brought the Big Van Vader over and uh, that the tired Inoki had to go through another single match and power slam, power slam, two power slam or something, and Inoki got pinned right away. Then people got real mad. It's not what we came to see, right? Who is Big Van Vader? That, the, that was Big Van Vader's debut night. It wasn't established. See, in two, three-year period, he became so good. I mean, the best big man worker in the ring, in, in the business, period. But the debut night of Big Van Vader, nobody really bought him, right? I mean, just who is this guy? And he came in with this, you know, this costume is good, but uh, I mean, relatively new guy, just big guy, and then the match wasn't even that good, and uh, Inoki got beat in two minutes. People cannot leave the building. Therefore, they start the fire. <laughs> the, uh, the pillows started flying into the ring. They put a fire uh, in, in the stand. Yeah. They st- so the so fans started a fire. Yeah. I mean, actual fire. And Samoa, you know, Samoa Association got so mad that the New Japan couldn't use the building next two-year period. Mm. Yeah. So next time but, uh, anybody says uh, anything about Japanese crowds being polite and quiet, remember this. <laughs> remember was, this. But always Inoki, though. Jan mm-hmm. Baba's Old Japan never had that kind of fanfare. I mean, like that kind of attitude, you know. Inoki's fans had that had this such high expectation and and a creative result, or wanting Inoki to win, or just not liking what they're what they're seeing they get so angry i mean the first iwgp tournament second year of 1984 the second annual iwgp tournament again inoki against hogan ricky choshu and masa saito run in inoki beats and you know hulk hogan for count out finish all people got mad and they just start throwing things and destroying things in the building and <laughs> right. Japanese fans are not that polite sometimes. Mm. Not if you mess with the wrestling. Or mess with something you, you believed in so much. How's yeah. That? And I mean, this is something, this idea of messing with something that you believe in is something, this theme is, is something that keeps coming up over the next maybe 10 or 15 years from now. Yeah, because Inoki was such a believable hero to them for at least decade and a half, right? At that at that point. Yeah. So things were things were definitely changing, but this was also around the last this is 
when Inoki was sort of finishing off his first yes slowing down in, in ring yeah and with that circumstance of that during 1987 if Inoki Akira Maeda single match took place probably Maeda had to be the winner huh I mean, an expectation, and he, you know, aged, aging Inoki with beat up body and you know, heavy, you know, serious diabetic and, and the medication and all these situation and other things that he's you know, Inoki's doing outside the ring. I mean, he always had other business, you know, like you said about the Tabasco sauce and the Shrasco, uh, that the Brazilian restaurants and uh, Inoki Anton Heisel and Inoki always had different. Uh, ventured business outside you know outside wrestling eventually he became politician of course he was going to and uh, <clears throat> yes 1987 inoki you know in the ring wasn't as believable as what antonio inoki was 10 years before that has that yeah but the 1987 was pretty much the final year that inoki was in the main event and he had his best opponent in Masa Saito. In 1987, much like, you know, Bruce Broly's program, that Inoki and Masa Saito returning from America. See, it was a big year, huge year for Masa Saito. Uh, coming back from America, you know, where he spent 20 years, you know, you know after Tokyo Pro Wrestling, if you remember, 1966, Tokyo, Tokyo Pro Wrestling, Inoki's very first outlaw company that went down quick. Masa Saito was number two guy you know and Masa Saito became free agent and went to America in spring of 1967 spent next 20 years in America then came back to Japan after the jail time in Wisconsin too of course and he you know he had a green card and everything but uh, Masa Saito choose uh, pretty much come back to Japan to live and 20 years in making Inoki Masa Saito match happened and they met four times, four big single match, Inoki live, Inoki no Osaka and the jungle match fight, fight. And that year's IWGP tournament final was also Inoki against Masa Saito. They had four very important single matches that year, 1987. So I guess Inoki was pretty much happy to have Masa Saito back and those two are actually really, really close, like real good friends. But uh, Masa Saito wanted to be heel, therefore he can be the main event, you know, opponent against Inoki. If he was babyface, he'll never be the same, you know, never be Inoki's status, right? If he took the heel role, he'll be Inoki's best opponent. He knew it. And that was Inoki and Masa Saito's very, you know, final good year together, 1987. Jungle match. Jungle fight. That's another subject for another day, huh? Hmm. I mean, do you want to do yeah. a whole episode on just that one? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was a time Inoki and New Japan was losing uh, that the primetime network deal. See, TBS he still carry New Japan to this day. I mean, like now, but the, it was never uh, prime time again after the 80s, 88. You know, he went to what the Saturday afternoon, four o'clock, or sun, uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning, what one o'clock in the morning time slot. That the, that the New Japan didn't have very good time slot anymore. But uh, up until 1988, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling was on 
either Friday night or Tuesday night or sometimes Monday night, but mainly Friday night, 8 o'clock. That's a resting hour, right? But the 1988 was the final year that they had primetime, you know, regular programming. So that par parallel was Inoki's, you know, primetime. I mean, Inoki was like clearly stepping down from the main event spot. I'm getting old, you know, and uh, Ricky Choshu Fujinami in, his, in their prime and popular of UWF new group outside New Japan and uh, New Japan was yeah like they need to do something about it yeah the three musketeer at the time was still rookie if you remember Muto, Chono and Hashimoto still rookie around that time period they weren't quite the stars they became in the 90s no not at all uh 86 at the second year Muto was already sent to order uh, to become star and following year Chono was sent to Europe and, and, and six months later Hashimoto was sent to Calgary and when they came back in the, you know 88 89 they start taking the main event spot but uh, 88 yeah 87 88 it was a really difficult time for New Japan yeah there was also one I think pretty important match with Inoki and <clears throat> Fujinami this was maybe Fujinami's biggest match in 88 yeah August 8th, we call it 888, you know, 1988, August 8th at the Yokohama Bunker Stadium. Then IWGP heavyweight champion Fujinami, challenger was Inoki. And that was a final single match those two had. Yeah, 60 minute time, you know, no fall, no submission. They just had solid nonstop wrestling 60 minute and because of the 60 minute time limit yes fujinami uh, successfully defended his iwgp title inoki didn't win but that was the last serious single match for inoki pretty much yeah and inoki as a challenger fujinami as a champion so uh somewhat somehow that the torch was hand, you know handed huh so yeah well i was gonna ask would you say that was the big moment for fujinami <clears throat> But he didn't beat Inoki though. But Not in, once. in terms of the as a, what did the fans perceive him as? Did they perceive him as changed after that in Inoki match? Pretty much because he was, you know, long reign IWGP champion. And he, you know, defended title against <clears throat> Vader, Ricky Choshu. Or, or you know everybody else and finally uh, took you know inoki as a challenger but he didn't beat inoki but still defended title that means like inoki couldn't beat fujinami either so that's like uh, giving you uh giving that the audience freedom of their own opinion mm -hmm. <clears throat> same year though wasn't a title match but uh Ricky Choshu pinned Anthony Inoki clean in the middle of the ring, one, two, three. I still wonder why Inoki would, you know, uh, would have Ricky Choshu pin him, but don't let Fujinami beat him. That's pretty mysterious. Any uh, any thoughts on if you want to hand the torch? Been? If you want to hand the torch, you know that the champion Fujinami should go over on Inoki. 
you know. But uh, you know, key, or clearly it's Inoki's choice or company's choice that the Fujinami didn't beat him, but Inoki didn't beat him either. Hmm. So I guess they uh, they both got out of the ring as winner. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's the best kind of booking, though, isn't it? Uh, when if Ricky Joshi guys can... didn't beat him, Inoki a month before that. Hmm. Choshu left uh, with a, a different legacy than Fujinami for sure. So the Inoki wins, they mean something different. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a clear difference. Somebody who pinned Inoki one to three in three different occasions. Uh, but the Fujinami never beat Inoki in single match. Then again, he defended his IWGP title against Inoki for 60 minute match which was like really historical match that people still talk about to this day because it was a great match. And uh, it was like a music that played is they teased the man, you know, that uh, on, on television, it was Inoki, Inoki against Fujinami match was a t TV special, like a 90 minute special and uh, that uh, not the regular, you know, one hour wrestling show, but the day took the special, uh, like a programming, you know, not the wrestling night, but the, they just aired this Inoki Fujinami match as TV special, right? And they teased it. Is this going to be Inoki's final match? Like they start teasing Inoki's retirement. Well, he wouldn't, he wouldn't actually retire another 10 years, you know, hmm. but uh, as an active, active wrestler, he's closing this chapter, right? And sure enough, uh, this was a summer of 1988, Inoki's final big match, pretty much. And this, you know, January of 1989, you know, Inoki announced that he's going to politics. And that summer, uh, July of 89, uh, he really won the election and became the, you know, national politician. Yeah. Uh, you have upper house and, you know, uh, lower house. We have Sangi in and Shugi in and, and uh, a, a congressman or senator. It's just a different group, right? But the Inoki won the national election, House of Councillors. That's uh, Sangi in. It's a lot like your upper house. But uh, he had a position for the next six years. N never really retired from wrestling. He came back probably once a year to have a special match at, at, at Tokyo Dome, like Inoki against. Hiroshi Hase or Inoki against Tenru or one year was there. Inoki against Great Muta, they did one year. And yeah, uh, so it, until Inoki final countdown thing for like a three year period. And he, you know, he had a retirement match in April of 1998 against people like Don Fry and Sting and remember? Yeah. Enzo Gracie. Enzo Gracie, yeah, yeah. So it was like, a, American wrestling represent, you know, like Sting representing American pro wrestling and Don Fry representing MMA. And, and it's a go. You know, he had this a mini tournament, one night tournament thing. He wanted to fight all three. And uh, oh, there was one match that the historical uh, uh, Tokyo Dome, one January, Inoki against Big Bang Vader. And Vader almost killed Inoki with the German suplex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, <laughs> uh, that was a great match. That's a great match. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. That uh, Vader told me that uh, Inoki himself called him on the telephone. 
Wow. That's why for one match that the Vader decided to re return to New Japan. And after that, he went to he went to WWE and 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 ended up being with AWA. At, I mean, I mean, in all Japan at the end. See, Vader started with New Japan, went to U, U, you know UWFI, then went to WCW, and one match came back to, to New Japan with the match against Inoki, then back to WWE. Then after that, uh, he was under contract with Baba. And if you remember, Stan Hansen, Big Ben Vader was the tag team at the end. Very popular tag team. Probably had some of his best work around that time, too. I mean, unbeatable. Can you imagine Stan Hansen and Vader together? <laughs> had some great matches. He had great singles matches with Ken. I mean, who's going to take the whole fall? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kobashi Akiyama. Yeah, yeah. But that's another subject for another day. But the Big Van Vader Inoki match took place. But we're talking about Inoki. So, 89, he won the election and he went to national politics. Yeah. And he became a real politician. And uh, if you remember, uh, you know, freeing hostage from Iraq. Yeah. And had a peace. Uh, 95, I believe, it was like a peace wrestling festival in LA. Los Angeles, yeah, the, and, yeah, the yeah. World Peace Festival in LA. The, lots mm -hmm. of a mix of uh, wrestlers from Japan, Mexico, uh, all over North America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And famous North Korean match in the only time North Korea ever had pro wrestling with two nights, you know, 18, uh, no, not 18, 180,000 and 150,000 each night or something. And it was Inoki against Ric Flair. Oh my gosh, you know, but Collision 10 years too late, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still pretty but Inoki amazing. Inoki against Flair, Inoki against Flair should have happened 15 years, you know, sooner. Yeah. But he oh did, well, yeah. Around that time, he did show up in WCW. Uh, mm. He had a yeah, match with single Steve match, Regal. Yeah, one summer, Steve Regal, yeah. And he showed yeah. up for some um, uh, ceremony type uh, thing. He would come and he would talk with Mean Gene Okerlund or something and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they gave an award to him or something. I, I forget the segment, but uh, yeah, he showed right, up right. around that time too in the states. Right. So he was uh, he was not exactly active pro wrestler. It was more mm. like a superstar superstar from I mean historical superstar or something, right? Who occasionally work in the ring still. Now there was one uh, moment I guess I wanted to ask you about because it was one of the opponents in Noki's career that he he dropped a, a win to it was tenru genuchiro tenru right right one that of was the very during few his people. politician politician period so he put over uh riki choshu he ended up putting over tenru yeah it was like a 90 90 uh, 97 version of tenru huh probably that uh 94 94 okay okay that was a big year Sorry for tenru that. that tenru that was uh he he beat Inoki after yeah yeah and he had a match he had a exploding barbed wire match and he was in the Royal Rumble Bonita yeah, yeah that all too. the same year oh oh pretty huge that was after SWS and WAR mm -hmm. WAR was a second company Tenru had uh, they changed name to you know WAR but the, the initially was a Wrestle and Romance or something yeah and then Wrestle Association R or something but they the company body changed and different corporate you know different company body but they wanted to keep the initial war as tenru's group 
but uh, it was actually under contract with New Japan at that year and worked all the dome shows, you know, Tokyo Dome, Osaka Dome, and Fukuoka Dome, only big shows. But uh, right, Inoki ended up putting Tenru over clean, but semi retired Inoki though that time. Right. He wasn't so uh, oh. all, yeah, all in all, Taiga Jit Singh, Stan Hansen. Riki Choshu and Tenru was about the only wrestler that actually pinned Inoki one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, well, wait a minute. Stan Hansen title switch was a count out finish. So Stan Hansen, 1980, Stan Hansen didn't even beat Inoki one, two, three then, but still won the NWF title. Yeah, I think there was a, a maybe a span of seven or eight years, if you look at his record, that there were no losses. Inoki never won, never yeah. lost any match. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, oh, there's also a match from the '90s during his politics, his politician time, or his political run, where he had a match with Great Muta in Fukuoka right, Dome. Right, right, Fukuoka Dome. It was an interesting finish. It was a sleeper hold, then pinned him. You know, mm-hmm. sleeper hold is to you know put him to sleep, right? But instead, Inoki let go of Muta and pinned him one to three. Yeah. It was also yeah, that uh, was yeah. It was interesting to see Inoki uh, uh, in a more modern setting against Muta. Definitely not a character from the 70s or 80s like we saw, but what Muta right. became in the 90s. Yeah, kind of a, right, right. Your, your, your typical dream match. Right. Uh, that was like early 90s. The Hulk, Hulk Hogan made, you know, come back to New Japan a couple few times. It was always, you know, Hulk Hogan against Great Muta or Great Muta and Hulk Hogan as a team went against Hellraisers, Hulk and Kensuke Sasaki's Power Warrior team and Hulk Hogan against Fujinami or somebody. But Inoki, Hulk Hogan never happened again. Hulk Hogan wanted to have a single match against Inoki again, no? But uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. So... In 1998 or, or so, this is this is a time when he was pretty much out of wrestling, but he was also really involved with uh, Naoya Ogawa and Hashimoto and this 97-98 angle. Yeah, it was as if as if Inoki found a new toy in Naoya <laughs> Ogawa, you know, because he was the Olympic, you know, gold medal guy or the world, you know, World Cup winner in judo, turning pro wrestler. So. I mean, overnight, Inoki thought he could make that guy a money superstar, you know? Yeah. And he kind of did, also, and he became a huge superstar. Yeah, and then also took Inoki primetime, you know, Inoki image to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he went on diet and lost, you know, 20 pounds and made, you know, himself real lean and good-looking. Ogawa was like a more like an MMA fighter. And went against people like you know, shoot you know reputation Shinya Hashimoto and had an infamous shoot fight. I mean, like a wrestling match turned into a fight and kind of thing. And after that, Hashimoto and Ogawa became good friends for some reason, and then they did uh, uh, zero one and hustle together. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you never know, you know. Yeah, yeah, because it was interesting that uh, because of what, what took place in the ring, they became real good friends, trusting each other after that. I mean, only wrestlers understand that mentality, right? Mm, I guess so. 
<clears throat> yeah. But it was 98, final year of uh, Antoni Noki, April of, uh, op uh, was that a, uh, April 4th, yeah, 1980, uh, 1998, Inoki finally retired from wrestling. And that interestingly, though, yeah, December, uh, December of 1998 was a final match for, you know, the, the final night of the you know, real tag team tournament thing. And Jan Baba had his final match. And, uh, you know, he passed away in January of 1999. So both Inoki and Baba had their final matches in 1998. Both did. They started in 1960, uh, you know, and all the way to 1998 that uh, they didn't really cross paths again. Uh, but uh, both Inoki and Baba had their final match in the year 1998. I don't think it was an accident. Hmm. They debuted at the yeah. same time and retired at the same time. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that just, I would say just there was some kind of destiny, right? I guess so. Seems yeah, like it. Yeah. And also there were two kings in, in <clears throat> professional wrestling in, this, you know, in Japan. And uh, yeah, therefore, professional wrestling as pro wrestler in Japan had like a different kind of evolution from from originally came from america that the the wrestling became kind of different entity the landscape was different the way it was laid out was different uh it was uh, it was shared yeah, land same pro wrestling same pro wrestling but understanding and the perception was different yeah and uh the the market was different because of television as well like we, uh in japan it always, always had good had network yeah had a good network time and network budget yeah but also a lot more access for fans to go see live shows and live events as opposed to in the states where if you unless you live in a big yeah, city yeah, if you lived in ohio you have to wait in ohio right right or you yeah. you, you watch local companies up until, yeah, up, until up until the you know vince mcmahon's national expansion right exactly or so, I mean, up until like uh, 80s, you know, that uh, if you lived in Minnesota, that you didn't think there was another wrestling, you know, existed outside right. that. Because yeah. uh, the, the technology wasn't as such. It wasn't as it, not even close to what it was, to, what it and is today. Just, Justin, you grew up in what, upper state New York? Yeah. Yep. Schenectady, so, New York, Albany area, uh, about okay, two and a half, so three hours watched, from New York City. As a kid, you only watched WWF. Yeah, WCW would be on if I went out to Western New York, which is closer to Canada and uh, maybe mm. like Ohio. Uh, but yeah, it was more of a, it was exotic for me because where I grew up, it was completely, w, it was WWF territory forever. I mean, there's there's a, a uh, an arena, it's called, it's called the Times Union Center now, unless it's changed yeah. its name, but it used to be called the Knickerbocker Arena. It opened when I okay, lived Nickerbocker, there. Okay, Knickerbocker Arena, right. And WWF was one of the first ever uh, companies to run a show there. And it's still running today. That's where they uh, record uh, Raw, SmackDown, and they do pay-per-views there. And right, it, right, right. It's their backyard, Rick, Rick, Rick Flair, WWE version of Rick Flair won the title there, too. That's right, Knickerbocker Arena, yeah. 1992. Yeah. 
Was there any lo local neighborhood independent wrestling in where you lived? Sure. Yeah, there were, but it was <laughs> independent wrestling in the 90s was a lot different. When you say indie today, it has a very different meaning because. Right, back, right. And of course, I don't know what, what it was like around the rest of the states, but in New York, the, the, the draw of the show would be usually an old wrestler. Like one of the sure. first indie shows I went to in the late 90s, it was. I got a flyer when I was at a WWE house show. Flyer. <laughs> yeah, I got a flyer because Tito Hand Santana, out. 1998 Tito Santana, was he was going to be uh, wrestling at the... Main uh, event. Yeah, main event against, I don't know who, but someone at the, uh, what was it? The Erie Boulevard uh, <laughs> IUE Hall, like a bingo hall sort of thing. Right, right. And yeah, so and you get a lot of um, yeah. So, so those little, you know, little bitty independent company or the promotion or, or just simply show will pop up here and there, but uh, never will be able to compete with big big companies. No, it was yeah. WWF light. Did you, know? you ever go to WCW oriented Meadowland shows? No. I never went. Uh, I never saw the, a WCW live. I saw ECW live, but I never got a chance to see WCW live. It was right. always a little bit. So out that of was, the had area. a lot to do with technology too. See pay per views, you know, and then w, you know people recognized WCW existed, and that's another major company. In late nineties, that the ECW really, really fought hard to become number three, and uh, just as soon as you create the star in. You know, Shane Douglas, the Sabu, the Rob Van Dam, the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, the Raven, they all get signed away by WCW. They eventually go to WWF. You know, mm -hmm. but uh, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, they came in from Japan, New Japan to ECW. And uh, just as soon as this Eddie Guerrero, well, at the time he was Black Tiger with no mask on, right? That Eddie Grill and Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit match was great. That the, he, they, those three got signed away by WCW right away. And then eventually that led to the creation of Radicals. And they went to WC, I mean, WWF. So it was a uh, not a business deal, but that's how you know, talented wrestlers migrated, you know? Yeah. Was interesting that uh, not much affiliate with you know American companies anymore. You know, in '90s New Japan Pro Wrestling, they created stars, American stars like Big Van Vader, Scott Norton, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow when he was in Japan, um, Tony Holm. Later on, he was Ludovic Borga with WWE, mm. but he was star in Japan as Tony Holm. Um, Dan Fry was brought in, and actually. It was right uh, between that uh, around the time, like 99, 2000, that Brad Reagan's was training Brock Lesnar in Minnesota. And then uh, Brock Lesnar had a choice between New Japan and WWE and then was signed by WWE. I mean, the rest of the history. So what if it's like all the what if history that the Brock Lesnar choose New Japan at the time? You know, well, eventually he would, you know, come back to America and work WWE for sure. But uh, we would have seen rookie Brock Lesnar in New Japan ring. That's another what if. Hmm. <clears throat> See, Brad Reagan's only trained wrestlers that already had a deal. He trained Leon White to become Vader, Don Fry, Tony Holmes, Scott Norton. Um, all these guys 
were coached by Brad Reagans in Minnesota and you know, sent to New Japan and start as a main event. And interestingly enough, you know, people like, you know, Cart Hennig, uh, Sean Waltman, they all show up at the Brad Reagan school because they have a wrestling ring, right? So they can practice. And they uh, had a hands-on training, those guys. Yeah. Mr. Perfect, Cart Hennig, lived in Minnesota. So he was always, he was always there. Yeah. Well, he had a couple, uh, Mr. Uh, Cart Hennig had a couple tours with New Japan too, through Masasaito late 90s between WWE stint and WCW was that uh, for New Japan yeah yeah Kart Henning worked in New Japan a little bit yeah a few tours before WWF right before WWF uh, between not initial Mr. Perfect against Hulk Hogan Kart Henning but uh, Kart Henning signed and quit and signed and quit a few times right mm -hmm. yeah then eventually the went tights. to and uh, the singlet, singlet in curly hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. S same Kurt Hennig. And eventually he went to WCW and made a lot of money. If yep. you remember uh, the Red Texas Rednecks. <laughs> West Texas Rednecks. Yeah. 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 But he's from Minnesota, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had a couple, a handful of uh, great matches during that time, too. It's kind of overrated yeah. or under, under. Oh, overlooked, so underrated. Yeah, it's overlooked. Yeah, so overlooked. So creative. Yeah, he uh, he coached Don Fry. If you remember uh, one spot that you get kicked in 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 the back of your leg and twisted in the twisted bump, you know, right right by the ropes and and apron. Can mm -hmm. you picture that? Mm -hmm. You get low kicks, you know, in the back of your leg, and you twist and spins and lands from your back of your head or something. That uh, it was clearly copied by Don Fry. He he was doing that in Japan. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh. If you go back and watch the video, yeah. Quite a few Mr. Perfect spot in it in, in Don Fry match. Interesting, huh? Let's talk more about uh, the Don Fry match with Inoki in '98 too. This was. I think was this his last last match or yeah yeah this you was know his last match versus yeah, Don that was Fry. yeah because he wanted to beat UFC champion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. this was also during the time when K1 pride were on the come up there was a lot of uh oh. pressure on realism oh you know he already felt the shadow and coming in the big cloud coming in over wrestling fans because K1 and pride Eventually, MMA was still wrestling fans, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that ended up happening. And in early 2000, Inoki, he sided with MMA world instead of wrestling world. And therefore, dark age of professional wrestling during that time period. Mm. Yeah. Because he was announced as executive producer of Pride, then eventually they switched channel from channel eight Fuji TV to channel four Nippon TV, and they created Inoki Bomaye show for New Year's Eve, for like a five six year period. New Year's Eve, everybody's home watching TV, right? Mm -hmm. Channel four Nippon TV, channel six TBS, channel eight Fuji TV, all had this five six hour MMA show all through the night, and ways wrestling, right? Yeah, it was usually the big K1 show. And Pride. Pride 2 came later on, and, and uh, but it was, 
there was uh, no proper pro wrestling event in the in the time slot for New Year's. Yeah, for casual wrestling fans in millennium time, a lot of things come out like if wrestling was real legitimate contest like fight MMA and you're watching MMA fight wrestling if it was real it would look like this kind of thing does that make sense yeah and it, it start i mean i guess if you could compare it to something today you could compare it to to blood sport or what katsuyori shibata recently did yeah in yeah, Japan yeah ring but yeah, yeah right. you know, so Kibome mma was wasn't good... looking like today's ufc more about mm -hmm. grappling yeah yeah yep and and the um... uh, people like if you know that the rings discovered um like uh emily and Kofeda, Mm -hmm. Or the milk or crack up, mm -hmm. or you know, ovary. Yeah, they yeah, all flame. They were all famous, but they their opponents were like a uh, Yuji Nagata, Kendo Kashin. Yeah, you know, for wrestlers. Oh god. Oh, because then then the Kendo Kashin Yuji Nagata was a big sacrifice, don't you think? He was the ultimate sacrifice, I think. Oh god. Yeah. But uh, you know. Everyone has Yuji Nagata. He's still going pretty strong today, which is pretty amazing. This is twenty years ago. 50, yeah, 50, 54 now. But I asked, you know, I, I personally asked the, the Yuji Nagata, you know, how he felt about it. And a couple of years ago, he said he was glad it was him. Oh yeah. Yeah. How come? Yeah, because. Oh, other than I mean, he could take it, but other than that, it's like that would father destroyed professional wrestling if it wasn't him he now that in hindsight i'm happy to do that and he glad he that was him then waited for you know another few years you know for new japan to create hiroshi tanahashi and shinsuke nakamura and katsuyori shibata you know that uh, entirely new generation of professional wrestling superstars so that Yuji Nagata felt that he was the bridge of that. I mean, and he had his own reign. Yeah, he had his own reign as the IWGP champion. It's a good point too. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse for pro wrestling if it wasn't Yuji. Yeah, if Ricky, somebody like Inoki went in, or aged Ricky Choshi went Gosh, in and got yeah. beat, or aged Fujinami went in and got beat. Oh God, Taka, they destroyed Takata's, Takata's reputation. He never mm -hmm. came back to pro wrestling after that. He became and a comedian. Now he's, and now he's uh, he's on TV a lot, but uh, always a former MMA fighter. Never, ex you know, his caption always say former MMA fighter. He never won an MMA fight. <laughs> I don't know, but the, the TV caption always say whenever Nobuhiko Takata comes on to this, you know, like a late night shows, it's like always former MMA fighter Nobuhiko Takata. Mm -hmm. Never announce him as former pro wrestler maybe his people's making sure that, that that's that, that his title now oh, former mma fighter instead of former pro wrestler whereas akira maeda comes on to tv show a lot now that the 64 65 year old you know akira maeda comes on to funny comedian show now but uh, he talks about his you know street fight and stuff yeah so he carries his image now all the image it's funny because uh, somebody like Kazushi Sakuraba considers himself a pro wrestler. Yeah, when he, but when, when he was, yeah, when when Sakuraba was uh, 
regular pro wrestler with UWFI, he was first match guy. He was a rookie. The, the, during the time Sakuraba became the real superstar, it was MMA ring against Hoist Gracie and you know other Gracies uh, that the wrestling fans wanted you know wanted to beat. You know Gracie is like a real bad bad you know that's like a real bad taste in the mouth in for pro wrestling fans enemy family yeah beating everybody uh, hickson hickson beat <laughs> everybody the, uh, in shuto yeah yeah and then that beat takada in five minutes in two different occasions mm -hmm. and also had one match against masakatsu funaki and he beat him too you know Pretty oh i destroyed all destroyed wrestling yeah and New Japan at one point wanted to book uh, Hicks and Gracie at the Tokyo Dome. Almost happened, but never took place. And Ricky Choshi was going to have a single match against Ricky uh, Hicks and Gracie. That never took place. What year was that supposed to take place? Oh, 2000 ish, 2001 ish, maybe. Ricky Choshi, yeah. wow. I, against Hicks and Gracie, can you imagine? I mean, I'm it would have been. Didn't happen. It would have had to have been a, a shoot. <clears throat> fight oh no hickson yeah gracie only do that kind never work ricky choshu was pretty old by them he wasn't yeah but the ricky choshu was a good 50 pounds heavier than hickson gracie though that's true that's probably true. never mattered yeah yeah but then yeah. again some something happened and backed out something or the money wasn't right and hickson wouldn't work work and uh, that never took place mm. but that uh, new japan was able to bring in um the uh, boss boss what's his name uh early early pancras fighter boss rutten boss rutten yeah boss rutten came in they did pro wrestling match that's right and also yeah. new japan brought him guys like kimo you know early kimo, ufc yep. star kevin yeah. randleman yeah they all came and did the pro wrestling yeah yeah, a lot of them. They didn't want to do it. Yeah, they didn't want to do it in the states, but in Japan they would, you know, go into pro wrestling and have MMA-ish pro wrestling match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they would do that. We saw a lot more of that type in what would become called hustle. For uh, it was the offshoot of the. Oh God! Then stage. again, they it was turned off because they were announcing that uh, this is not a real fight. This is like a fighting opera. It's like, what a turn off! It's like a, you don't you know call it it's a it's a magic it's not real it's like then who would you want to watch the show you know what i mean why would you want to you know watch the show it's so announced no this is an entertainment and this is a real dumb way to promote the show i mean in my opinion i mean all, certain mystique some you know that the unknown part should remain you know People know wrestling, you know what wrestling is, but uh, they don't say it's all fake. And people believe in certain portion of pro wrestling, even to this day. I do. You know, pro wrestling is a lot more real than the people think. Agree? I think so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, the longer uh, you watch, yeah. Inoki, um, there were a couple other things. So the, we talked a little bit about Inoki Bomaya. That was about, there were six? Six years in a row, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 
2003, 4, 5, 6. Yes, around there. Oh, such a dark period. I'm trying to forget. And then <laughs> 2007 was a year I got sick. So, mm -hmm. you know, I thought, you know, I had cancer and I thought I was going to retire, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. And well, 2007 was a year that, uh, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow died and my, mm -hmm. my friend Mike Awesome Gladiator died. Uh, Carl Gotch died. And then, then Chris Benoit thing happened and such a dark year for me, you know? Yeah, that was a, 2007 was an eventful year for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And in this time, Inoki was, he, I mean, he was established out of the ring as Inoki, the personality, Inoki, the uh, hostage negotiator, Inoki, the businessman. Um, and the Inoki restaurant in town. Yeah, that's right. I've been there. Yeah. I, we, I forgot. Oh, to you have? Yeah. Oh, Inoki yeah. Bar? I have pictures. Yeah, yeah. I before I moved back to the states, yeah. I actually went out to the Inoki bar in Shinjuku. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's like one of those bars that the Inoki restaurant, Inoki bar, but the Inoki himself was seldom there. You know. Whereas, see, if you go to Kira Khan's bar, he's there every night. If you go to Bo Nakano's bar, she's actually there. You know what I'm saying? But for Inoki's restaurant, it's like Inoki's never there. Yeah, it had like a TGI Fridays feel, and there's like a little ring. Yeah, right, 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 right. Or and the Planet Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They had, yeah. um, gosh, what was it? I remember they had the Ich Nissan Da salad. Salad <laughs> in Japan, it's oh, uh, oh, oh, all the items on the menu, something to do with Inoki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it would come out. The people, the hostess, would come out and they would sit there. It's Nissan. They would do. They would do the whole uh, Inoki speech and then give you <laughs> free you. towering French fry or some shit. I don't and know. And the know. wrestling ropes, like you know, that yes. the sections sections all closed, like wrestling ring, like wrestling ropes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very gimmicky Inoki's gowns and Inoki shoes and Inoki costumes all in all framed on the wall. There's yeah. a, a cartoon um, Inoki that greets you as you walk in, like a sculpture ah. almost. Okay, and buy this and buy that and all the Inoki items on sale. I mean, like uh, like uh, yeah, oh, the merchandise. Yeah, yeah, of course. Everything. This is more commercial than any like a wrestler's bars, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like imagine if there were. It's like a, a WWE kind of. Bar. I mean, it's just. Yeah, there was a WWE restaurant in New York once. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, there was also a WCW, like Hard Rock. WCW oh, place that in too? Vegas. Mm, mm, that too. Was supposed that, to be. That too. Right, but those restaurants never last that long. You know? No. They never do. <laughs> yeah. Hulk Hogan's uh, beach bar is happening right now because he's there a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Are, is the Inoki uh, bar still? I think that the, bar, the, Inoki, the rest, Inoki restaurant closed down in the middle of pandemic about yeah. a year ago, I think. Yeah. I'm sure that's yeah. the case for a lot of um, a lot of places. Yeah. And also now that the Inoki is really getting weak right now, and uh, yeah, yeah. So now that the people realize how much they love Dinoki now, yeah. See, he was a hero. He was an enemy at one point, and he was against wrestling at one point. But he still is hero today. Yeah, very interesting because he he was always in front of 
you know, in front of audience. He was in front of eyes of general public for, for the past what fifty years, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Such Since a big the early days, and such a connection to those on society. To society, yeah. beginning of pro wrestling, um, integration of pro wrestling around the world from Japan into the U.S. into Europe, uh, into the connection he has with Brazil to regular TV, to satellite TV, to your closed circuit, to pay per view, to now the streaming service. Uh, Inoki, you know, in seventies, Inoki did such seventies things. You know, during 80s, did such 80 things and uh, 90s, you know, did such a 90s things and in millennium, he was millennium Inoki. Yeah, he really kept reinventing himself. Yeah. If not a fighter in the ring, he became producer of the, uh, you know, like MMA producer. You know, so he was on top of this trend at all time. He yeah. always had an influence. Uh, he always had his, his hand or his, the sense of him was inside of all of what he was doing, what was going on in pro wrestling at the time. Yeah. And oh, and then also there was a sh uh, that uh, the time he actually lived in America right after this 98 retirement. He moved to L.A. and got green card in two weeks. <laughs> what a politician, right? Nice. I mean, like for for immigrant years to have green card, right? Issue. Sometimes almost two years, yeah. Yeah, but he got the, his green card in two weeks because biography and you know, not just one, but the series of biography and books and books and books are written on him. So they they just honored him green card right away. Yeah, I spoke with you know LA lawyer how it was done. It was like a piece of cake that uh, they just stamped, you know, Inoki's passport, kept Japanese passport, but they gave him green card right away. Wow. <laughs> kind of slick, huh? Yeah. So this is where he started up the first L.A. Dojo. Inoki Dojo in L.A., Inoki right? Dojo, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with his, da his daughter, who also moved to America. So who were the original uh, trainees at the Inoki Dojo in Los Angeles? Oh, wow. It became uh, like a dormitory for everybody, you know, like a young, you know, blonde hair. Uh, CM Punk came and, and trained. Samoa Joe was there. Uh, Kia, that uh, amazing Kong was there. Um, young... Um, I almost said you know, Daniel Bryan, but Bryan Danielson, <laughs> young Daniel Bryan, you know, came and lived there at the dojo. And there are so many. See, CM Punk already debuted in independent scene, but he came to LA Dojo to train again. Uh, originally, uh, Bryan Danielson was trained under Shawn Michaels San Antonio, uh, that uh, Texas Wrestling Association gym, but he came to LA and retrained again. Samoa Joe was also already an independent wrestler, but came to LA Dojo to train again. And a lot of wrestlers, you know, came, you know, and, and they made a dormitory out of that place. Very interesting period. Wasn't uh, Nakamura there too? Yeah, Nakamura, yeah. Rookie Nakamura came and spent time there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Think, uh, the, the UFC fighter, Yoto Machida. Yoto Machida, yeah, he was there. Right, right, right. So, I think the idea was to train both MMA fighter and pro wrestler and let the fighter choose, you know, the profession. How much, of a, 
training are the same. Yeah, how much of a connection uh, does the Inoki Dojo have to the current New Japan Dojo, if any? Uh, the, the today's LA Dojo and Inoki's LA Dojo are the two different things, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because Inoki sold New Japan Pro Wrestling to two thousand six ish to Yuke's, uh, then Yuke's later on sold New Japan to Bushiroad, and now it's under Bushiroad Capital. Right, Yux mm -hmm. is but the video game came... company, and Bushiroad right, is right. the uh, car, uh, another, car yeah, and also video game company, the mm -hmm. bigger one, bigger than Yux. Mm -hmm. But then again, that, that's a good to have ownership like that. And the New Japan, that the King of Sports Lion logo remains. It's a still King of the Sports, that uh, strong style New Japan, and New Japan have this 50th year anniversary this year. Both New years. Japan and Old Japan, for that matter, yeah. Old Japan and New Japan both, you know, you know, opened their door in the year in 1972. It's 50 years now. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow, it's amazing. Yeah, I think we uh, pretty much covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, that was, and I still <laughs> we could probably still go on. So I guess if there's any, uh, if we missed any any topics that. Oh, we'll take aware. questions. Of and course. also, we're going to start the Giant Baba episode, Giant Baba series. We'll look at the wrestling world from Baba's side of, side of the story. Mm -hmm. The king and the yeah, royal road. We've been, we've been looking at the wrestling, Japanese wrestling history from New Japan, Inoki side of it, right? Mm -hmm. But there's always flip side, like a vinyl record, side A and side B. I'm not saying Inoki's a side A and Baba's side B. But uh, so, oh, some people love album side B. Good songs are always in side B, but uh, it's kind of like a vinyl record that you need two kings to have Japanese wrestling history. And we'll look at Japanese wrestling history from Baba's side uh, next episode on. How about it's like a double record? One record for Inoki, one right, record like for a Baba. white album. Yes. Yeah, white album. Yeah, white album. So yeah, we'll look that, at it from. Good. Different. We have yeah, because it's a national. Because if there was no National Wrestling Alliance, there would have been no WWE. Mm -hmm. And there would right? probably be yeah. no All Japan either. Right, right, and uh, they were clear affiliated NWA and establishment. And mm -hmm. if there was no establishment, Inoki wouldn't have fought that hard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And his he had influence on a whole nother. Uh, uh, area, but just as important area of Japanese pro wrestling and Japanese pop culture. Mm -hmm. See, uh, Baba was on movies and TV years and years before Inoki was famous. Mm -hmm. So, and also was a giant baseball player, pitcher. Yeah, yeah, much different uh, story. So, yeah, cool. yeah. So, uh, if if you're not an old Japan or giant Baba fan, you you should still go. You know, going to these details in, in history of all Japan side that, uh, yeah, he had, you know, Giant Baba and Jumbo Tsurura and Dick Bayer Destroyer and, and the connection with America, Dory and Terry Funk, Harley Race, Nick Bachwinkle, all these existing American superstars had affiliate, you know, you know, with affiliated with all Japan and Giant Baba. Abdullah and Sheik and Stan Hansen at the end. end. Bruiser Brody. And of course, Bruiser Brody choose Giant Baba at the end. And Bruiser Brody, of all people, choose All Japan Ring and Jumbo Tsura 
to get you know to put over one two three in the middle of the ring. Bruiser Brody doesn't get pinned all that often, right? Uh, and, almost never. Almost never. And also, uh, if you ask any historical American wrestling superstar, they'll tell you Giant Baba is a better promoter than Antonio Inoki. Really? Yeah, he had a very good reputation. Uh, it was very trustworthy among a lot of yeah, yeah, that wrestlers kind of, of the age. And um, yeah, it's going to be a fresh perspective but if you and also and, a real old-fashioned wrestling company like mr and mrs baba runs it yeah yeah mom and pop mom and pop style yeah. uh not as best. uh not as corporate as new japan would become right 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 but they wrestling business you know work better with that environment sometimes mm -hmm. especially with yeah. the foreigners i think yeah i guess Steve, yeah, people like late Steve Williams, Dr. Death, was saying that uh, he liked, you know, he enjoyed old Japan a lot better than New Japan environment. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Stan Hansen retired there. He left right. his career there. Worked 20 years of his career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, the, yeah. Well, look at the business from different perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And once we get, I mean, when you can see the whole picture, with that perspective uh, it becomes a very interesting story okay let's do that all right so <laughs> how can we reach you online um twitter on twitter fumihiko dayo f-u-m-i-h-i-k-o-d-a-y-o fumihiko dayo on twitter or just fumisaito on facebook i'm also on instagram fumisaito 2001 but i'm not there all that much <laughs> yeah uh, send me message before you friend me on facebook and I'm at Justin M. Nipper on Twitter, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. If you have questions, comments uh, on anything Inoki-related or on not Inoki-related, that's okay. Send them to us via social media or Patreon. Um, don't forget to subscribe to our free feed on Fight Game Media via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Downcast, Stitcher, etc. But um, this is it. We finally did it. We did the Inoki five-part yeah. series um <laughs> oh. i think it's unprecedented we, but, uh, we probably we missed something it. though but uh, yeah yeah, yeah. reach fine. out if you if, if you want us to talk about something that we might have missed of course but uh, hey now there's i don't know six seven hours of enoki uh material <laughs> in english out there for everybody so uh yeah we did it Whew. all right next week we'll get into the giant baba uh probably five-part series as well if not more but let's We'll see for next week. So, all right, for Fumi. so long from Tokyo. Write that down.